Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today is part two of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. They wanted the tree of knowledge instead, the baked bread that they own on their own accord. What is this tree of life? Proverbs says that wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her and to those who hold her fast, they will be blessed. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and the one who is wise saves lives. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And when we come to the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, we hear again about the tree of life to the message at the church at Ephesus. Jesus says, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So the whole world is longing for the tree of life. Everybody's longing for Jesus, but they just don't know it. And they want to make their own wheat bread. They want to do it on their own and be self-sufficient when it's only he, only Jesus himself, who's the only bread needed. That's why he says in Isaiah 55, why spend your money on what is not bread? Why do you labor for what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. He has free bread for us. He has eternal life for us. It's himself. Now, what does Paul say to the Romans tonight? As for the man who is weak in faith, welcome him and do not dispute over opinions. One believes he may eat anything while the weak man eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who abstains and let not him who abstains pass judgment on him who eats for God has welcomed him. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about two groups of Christians in Romans 14. Some are strong in faith and some are weak in faith. Some are strong in faith and they'll eat anything. Others are weak in faith and they'll eat only vegetables. Some are not concerned at all about the old Jewish food laws. Others are stringent Jews who abstain and keep kosher. Some are strong in faith. They're Roman converts to Catholicism. Others are weak in faith. They're skeptical Jews returning from expulsion from Rome. So we have these two groups, new Roman Gentile Christians and old Roman Jewish Christians returning back, remember, after the Edict of Claudius. Claudius, who ruled 41 to 54, had expelled the Jews from Rome. They are coming back. There's a great difference between Jews and Gentiles in general, but now they're all abiding as one church in Rome. They've already had a great circumcision division. We heard about that earlier in Romans 2 and 3. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles as well? And Paul says, yes, he's the God of the Jews and the Gentiles as well. And that he who is a Jew is one inwardly and real circumcision is a matter of the heart, spiritual and not literal. They handled that problem, but there were more problems than just circumcision because in Acts 15, the first church council, after the whole everything was laid out, James, the pillar of the church in Jerusalem, replied, brethren, listen to me. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who return to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the pollution of idols, from unchastity, and from what is strangled and from blood. They don't have to get circumcised. They just have to abstain from pollution of idol, 
unchastity, what is strangled, and from blood. So this is what's coming into Rome right now. We have two groups. See this Venn diagram. We have Jews of the old covenant law. They're really bound by that. And we have Roman Gentiles who have converted. They, they were Roman pagans, but they've converted to Christianity. And they couldn't be more different. They're used to Roman paganism. These guys are strict Jews under covenantal laws. They're coming back into Rome. Where do they intersect? In the body of Christ. That's the one meal they both share. They share baptism, they share grace from God, they share the faith, and they share an indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul's saying you got a lot more in common than you have different. We got through the circumcision division, but now we're going to face food laws and feast day divisions. Now, where did all these food laws come from? After the garden and the trees of knowledge and the tree of life. It was only chapter six. It was only chapter six, six chapters in where the Lord God saw the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every imagination and thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So God said, I'm going to blot out men who I have created from the face of the ground, man, beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. I'm sorry I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, one man, righteous old Noah, and God blessed him. And God used Noah for a new creation, Noah and his sons, his three sons, their wives, and Noah's own wife. And God gave them instructions about how to build a great ark. And God gave them instructions that every living creature, two of every living creature, God would help, but they would need to be on board the ark. And when the right time came, God would help orchestrate all the animals getting loaded. But at the time, at the proper time, God himself would close the door and seal it with tar and the rain would start and it would rain for 40 days and 40 nights and all those who laughed at Noah would be left to die in the floodwaters. And when Noah landed, after the 40 days and 40 nights, he offered sacrifice, first thing, sacrifice to God. And it was an animal that he burnt on an altar. And God gave him that beautiful bow in the sky, the rainbow of his covenant. God was starting over a new creation, a new covenant. God said he would never, ever again destroy the earth with a flood. And all the animals that had made the journey and they are released. And God has made a new covenant with Noah. He's blessed him and his sons, and he's telling them again, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. So again, they have dominion over everything. And God says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. There's only one restriction God has. In Genesis 9 verse 4, God says, only you shall not eat flesh with its life that is its blood. So they have to drain the blood out of the animal before they eat it. That's the only stipulation. Now Noah plants a vineyard, a beautiful vineyard. He's harvesting the grapes and we know that he takes those grapes and ferments them. And this new creation, the first creation was bread. Possibly we just talked about that. The second creation will be wine out of wine, bread and wine. Hmm. Two elements that we know quite well, but these didn't work. The new creation through Noah's fallen family does not undo the division caused by the fall. The inclination 
to evil, the proclivity to concupiscence. Man's inclination to evil was still present in his fallen nature when Noah gets drunk. And Ham looks on his father's nakedness, an idiom for having maternal incest with his mother. A different type of bread and wine is going to be needed, a different new creation. Only Jesus Christ can make all things new again. God is teaching, but it's going to be a ways off. So let's fast forward to the time of the Exodus. And God's going to give these very, very stringent food laws, clean foods and unclean foods. He'll tell Moses and Aaron, say to the people of Israel, the living things which you may eat among the beasts that are on the earth, whatever parts of the hoof is the cloven footed and choose the cud among those animals you can eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part of the hoof that you shall not eat. So he gives this extensive list, the camel, because it chews the cud, but does not part the hoof is unclean to you. Can't eat it. Don't eat the rock badger. It chews the cud, but part of the hoof is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud, but part of the hoof is unclean to you. Don't eat the swine because parts of the hoof and the clo- are cloven footed. Uh, it doesn't chew the cud. It's unclean clean to you. Of the flesh that you shall not eat and their carcasses you shall not touch, they're unclean to you. Then he gives them this whole list that they can eat in the water. Anything that has scales and fins in the river, you can eat. Everything in the water that does not have fins and scales is an abomination. In the sky, the birds, you, it's an abomination if you eat the eagle or the vulture or the osprey or the kite or the falcon according to its kind. Every raven do not eat. Don't eat the ostrich or the nighthawk or the seagull or the hawk or the owl, or the cormorant, or the ibis, or the water hen. Please don't eat the pelican, or the carrion vultures, or the storks, or the heron, the hopi, the bat. He goes through so much. There's just, you know, so many verses of what they can and can't eat. There's four insects that they're allowed to eat. They're all part of the locust family. Those you can eat, the other insects don't eat. I'm just showing you, there's just verses and verses of what is clean, and what is unclean, and what you can eat, and what you can't eat, but it's always stipulated very, very stringently about blood. Do not eat blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I give, I've given you blood upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by reason of the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood. Okay, then in Deuteronomy, they get a review again of the eating laws. And I'm not going to read them all, but you get the idea. There's just so many verses. Basically, they cannot eat meat and dairy together. Exodus and Deuteronomy will stress that. They can't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. They, again, can't consume blood, very, very stringent on that. Make sure you do not eat the blood because the blood is the life and you must not eat the blood. You must not eat the life with the meat. You must not eat the blood. Pour it out on the ground like water. Do not eat it on and on and on. Blood was forbidden to be consumed. Complete bleeding and soaking of meat in salt and water was important to remove any residual blood. Why? The Lord says you are a people set apart. I don't want you doing anything remotely related to pagan practices. I want you to be a light that shines, that all the nations around you notice you're different. You're a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own heart, his own possession. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, I've chosen you, Israel. One other food stipulation. Remember when we studied Genesis 32, and Jacob is wrestling with God. He's wrestling with an angel all night, and he demands his name. He 
wants to know who it is. And this is when Jacob is renamed Israel. And remember, they're wrestling all night. Tell me your name. Tell you my name. And there, finally, the Lord blesses him. And Jacob calls the name Peniel, saying, for I've seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rises, and Jacob is limping. And he's limping because of his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh on the sinew of the hip. The Lord God Almighty did. So to this day, my friends, the sciatic nerve and its adjoining blood vessels may not be eaten by kosher Jews. The process of removing this nerve is extremely time-consuming and not cost-effective. So most American slaughterhouses simply sell the hide quarters to non-kosher butchers. There are also strict guidelines in killing the animal, and this is important. The Jews are very merciful in the way they kill the animal. The animal will die instantly without, uh, it goes unconscious almost instantly with very, very minimal suffering. And they take a single cut across the throat to a precise depth that severs both the carotid artery and the jugular veins, both the vagus nerves, the trachea, the esophagus, no higher than the epiglottis, no lower than where the cilia inside begins that joins the trachea, causing that animal to bleed to death. Very clean, swift. Now, fast forward. We get to the time after Christ in the Acts of the Apostles in Acts chapter 10. The Jews have followed all these stringent food laws forever, all these years, to the letter of the law, the, the 613 Mishnah laws. Now, after Jesus has resurrected and, and the apostles are spreading the good news, the Galleon through the empire. At Caesarea, there's a man named Cornelius, and he's a centurion of the Italian cohort. He's a Roman. He's a devout man. He fears God. All his household fears God. He has given generously to the Jews. He has prayed constantly to the Jewish God, the God of Israel. He's devout. He fears the Lord. He's generous to all people, and he prays constantly to Israel's God. It's the ninth hour of the day. That's three o'clock. He sees a vision of an angel coming to him and saying, Cornelius. And he he stares at him in terror and says, what is it, Lord? And he says to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now go send men to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. And the angel who spoke to him had departed. He called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those that waited on him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, they're on their journey. They come near the city. Peter goes upstairs on the housetop to pray. It's the sixth hour, 12 noon. He's hungry. He desired something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens open and something descended like a great sheet and let down four corners upon the earth. And there were in it all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him that said, Peter, rise, kill and eat. But Peter said, no, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean, which means he followed all the Jewish dietary ceremonial food laws. A voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common, Peter. This happened three times and we know three times in the Bible is the extreme ultimate emphasis. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once 
to heaven. And while Peter was pondering this vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter goes with these three men and they go to Caesarea and Peter enters Cornelius's house. And what does this Roman Cornelius do but bow down to Peter? And Peter says, stand up. I'm a man too. I'm not a God. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me, Peter, that I should not call any man common or unclean. So this is exactly what Paul was telling us about in Romans 2. God shows no partiality. This will be the incoming of the Gentiles. Cornelius will be the first Gentile baptized by the first Pope Peter. And it's beautiful. And he's a Roman and he will become a Roman Christian. And so now we fast forward and, and you saw all the, the foods and now anything goes. The Lord said everything's clean. Peter doesn't have to worry about this anymore. All these food laws that forever they've done. Now in Rome, in the ancient world, the worship of false deities was really literally almost on every street corner. Ancient Rome had over 400 idol temples to gods, little g gods. Like they took all the Greek gods and gave them Roman names like Diana and Mercury and Saturn and Jupiter and Juno. And the sacrifice, for instance, for Jupiter, when it was a feast day, that's the Roman calendar part of Zeus, what they would offer to, to Jupiter always was a castrated white ox. For Juno, the little g-god Juno, that was the Greek goddess Hera. She would always get offered on her feast day a white heifer. That was her sacrificial animal. So on Juno's feast day, for example, in Rome, you might go to the festival of Juno and eat the white heifer burgers at the restaurant with your family, you know, and celebrate. And it'd be a big festival and a party. The cow, however, was not killed in a kosher manner. It was not strangled. It was not that quick. It, it was strangled. It wasn't that quick, like I just showed you, the quick slicing of, of the arteries. It was it was strangled. That's against Acts 15. Its blood was not properly drained out. No salting of the meat. The blood might be mixed with wine and, and given as, as a drink, a cocktail. And there would be temple prostitutes available for dance and entertainment following the meal for the great feast. And this was all over the empire. Paul ran into it in Corinth. He said, you know that when you were heathen, you were led astray to dumb idols. However, you may have been moved. He told the Thessalonians at Thessaloniki, they themselves, uh, concerning you, what a welcome we had among you, and how you had turned from the God of to God from idols to serve a living and a true God. And also in Rome, a little bit after Paul, the, the Pantheon was built. That was a temple for all the little g gods, a grand, grandiose temple where the ark and the uh, looked like a vault to the sky. All the gods around altars for all the different gods worshipped. You could put sacrifice or offering to any god you wanted. The worship of false gods and goddesses was a way of life in the ancient world and a multitude of animals were sacrificed. And so there was a lot of meat always to be purchased. You could have the, the sacrifice, but then the meat could be sold at a discount or the meat could be sold in the market. Sometimes up to a hundred oxen, a multitude of animals were sacrificed called a hectatum. That was the Greek term for offering a hundred oxen at once to a god. Gentile pagan Romans often worshipped idol, often worshipped idols by drinking the blood of strangled animals, having sexual intercourse with pagan temple prostitutes, many past Gentile idol worshipers were now coming to know Jesus Christ. Food laws and feast days were a big issue in Rome.
home. They always were for the pagans, and now the Christians are trying to, everything's changing. And so we have these new Roman Gentile Christians, and we have these old Roman Jewish Christians that have just come back after the Edict of Claudius has been ended, and there's a new ruler in town, Nero. But they're coming back into Rome, and they're very strict and still very stringent with their Jewish food laws. But these Roman Christians have been doing Roman feasts and pagan feasts all their life, and they're trying to blend or incorporate the two in some way. But they have so much grace, and their faith is so strong that they feel they can do it. So now let's listen to this again in that context and kind of wrap your arms around this now. For as for the man who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not for the disputes over opinions. One believes he may eat anything, while the weak man eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who abstains. And let not him who abstains pass judgment on him who eats, for God has welcomed him. So we have these two groups of Christians. One, Paul's saying, is strong in faith. The other's actually weaker in faith. The Romans that are there, that have been there all along, eat anything. The Jews are eating only vegetables because they feel it's the only safe thing they can eat in Rome that hasn't touched blood or not been strangled right or not have kosher food laws on it. So we got these two groups trying to live together and worship together. And one says they're not at all concerned about these old Jewish food laws. And the other is abstaining stringently, fasting, keeping kosher, eating only vegetables to be safe. And Paul says these are strong in faith and these are weaker in faith. Paul is understanding this, and and he continues on and says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the master is able to make him stand. One man esteems one day as better than another, while another man esteems all days alike. Let everyone be fully convinced in his own mind. So we have the strong in faith esteeming all days alike. Every day is a feast day in Rome. The others, Shabbat, Sabbath, they esteem one day as better than any other. Paul's saying they're weaker in faith. They're not going by grace. They're not blending the two. He who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. He also who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God. While he abstains, he abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. These two are quite different, but they're blending. So the strong in faith eats and thanks the Lord. They thank God as they go to these Roman feasts. The Jews who are totally fasting from that, they fast and observe the day in the honor of the Lord. They're big on Sabbath still. None of us lives to himself, says Paul, and none of us dies to himself. If we live we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Paul's saying, guys, life is too short for this. In the next life, in the next life, in this life and the next life, we belong to the Lord. And the next life's eternal. We are one big family of God. We're all adopted sons and daughters of God the Father. We're all siblings of Jesus Christ now. Remember the Lord's love feast. Remember the food of eternal life. That's what we have in common. So here's where the intersection comes. Remember where you intersect. The meal we can all share is the love feast, the body 
and blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have an indwelling Holy Spirit within us. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. We've been given his grace. We're saved by faith. We've all been baptized into Christ. Let's let these old ways pass and let's live where we have common ground. Let's live in unity, not division. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Then let us no more pass judgment on one another, but decide rather never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know And I am persuaded in that the Lord Jesus, nothing is unclean in itself, but that is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So Paul's saying, let your own conscience be your guide. Let your conscience be your guide. Jesus in this new creation has made all clean. But if you're not there yet, let your own conscience be your guide. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. If your brother is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. Paul's saying food's not worth it, you guys. Stop. It's not worth it. It's just food. God's made everything clean. Remember the dream Peter had on the roof. God has no partiality. All is clean in him. So do not let what is good for you be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God does not mean food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make others fall by what he eats. It is right not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. So have some mercy for each other. Let your conscience be your guide. Err on the side of love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Like our first Pope Peter said, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Happy is he who has no reason to judge himself for what he approves. But he who has doubts, is condemned if he eats because he does not act from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So let faith be your guide. Get off the breast milk, grow in your faith. What did St. Paul say to the Romans? In a nutshell, this chapter, to summarize it, Paul is tolerant of Jewish Christians in Rome and their reluctance to abandon the ritual prescriptions of the law of Moses, while being equally insistent that the ceremonial laws of Moses shall not be forced on the Gentile Christians in Rome. There's quite a tension there, and it's going to take a lot of grace and really a lot of love to get along. What would Paul say to us today? St. Paul's letter to the Americans. Remember where you intersect. Remember what you have in common, the body of Christ. There are American Catholics who are very liberal. I hate to even use these terms, but there are American Catholics that are very conservative. That ark, that ark that Noah floated is a great, 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 great big boat, and there is room for all people. Christ died for all people. There is no partiality with God. And instead of 
getting so polarized and so different and then so alienated and letting the evil one, Diablo, separate. Live in love and go with what brings you together. And that's the love feast, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the bread and the word of God that we talked about at the beginning, the tree of life, eternal life, the body of Christ, division, Diablo, or unity, Jesus Christ, our own bread, our own wine, or his bread, his wine, his body, his blood. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, uh, we just praise and thank you for the wisdom of Paul. Uh, We ask in our current situation, in our country and in our church, we ask for healing. We ask that we could be united in the love of Jesus Christ, that we could be temples of the Holy Spirit, the river of life that flows out into the world and spreads love, that we could be more united in the things we have in common, especially the most powerful thing we have, the body and blood of Jesus Christ that brings us all to eternal life. May we be united there in the love feast and may love cover a multitude of our sins. Amen. That was part two of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.